All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was... uh, I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Well, hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. My name is James K. Jones, and this is my story. And this is Haley Jones, and this is his story that has now become a part of my story. So we're in season three. We've made it to episode four, and we're going to call this episode The Unraveling. The Unraveling. So basically, we're going to talk about how things were not as they (laughs) appeared to be. Yeah. So I was, what, four months out of prison. You know, first three or four months I was out, it seemed like everything I touched was like... You know, everything just was going just so well. It's like I had the Midas touch. I mean, everywhere I went. You had the what touch? The Midas touch. What does that mean? That's an old, like, fairy tale about a, somebody that could touch things and it would turn into gold. Oh, okay. So everything, you know, everything up to up through that point was just working out so well. Mm-hmm. But Like, for example, the... the the job, ha- the finances, getting the house. Everything. Yeah, everything, Every, yeah. Just, everything just was like, bam, You were bam. just working the plan. I was, I was, I had the plan. I was following the plan, working the plan. Everything was just, you know, just yielding incredible results. And I was so excited and it was crazy. Kind of like the first day of a diet, just working it. It's doing then day two. It's like, <laughs> it sucks. No, it was more now. I was four or five months in before things started. You know, I had yeah, like, yeah, I know. there yeah. were like red flags. I had stuff, but then, you know, I was, you know, I was trying to think the best. I didn't. In a lot of ways, I didn't know what I didn't know. Right. Especially about, like, the church world and, like, you know, privately owned restaurants. And, you know, I just, just things I didn't know. But also, I mean, I'm I'm curious to just jump into it because I'm wondering how much of this stuff is just real life stuff that oh, happens back to on, everyone. It is real life. Yeah. It's just, just what you navigate through. But, I, you know, I, I was a little starry-eyed. You know, I was in a new city. I was in a new job and a new you know, straight out of prison, you know, and I was, honestly, I just had so much ener- energy, just like life. I'm ready to right. live life. I'm ready to do things. Yeah, after being locked up for almost eight years. Seven years. Seven years. So what was the first thing that unraveled? Probably the church. It all happened at once, really. Really? Okay. But let's let's just start with one, the last, like, good thing that happened was, you know, I had my, I, I got my little duplex, mm-hmm. and I had it for, like, two months before I moved in. Because I was supposed to be at Shepherd's Fold till February the 13th was my four-month mark. But remember, if you go a couple episodes back, Joel 
let me go early because he said <laughs> that I was treating his program like a necessary evil. And, right. you know, I was ready to go. Already. I mean, I really, it was time for me to go. I had an apartment, I had everything I needed, but then it wasn't quite ready to move in. So I stayed for two or three weeks at Tommy and Brenda's house. Mm-hmm. But then um, me being there every day, kind of, it was so easy to be there. Like it was, you know, I had my own room, my own space, everything, you know, not, it was a nice house. And um, they started floating the idea, you know, you don't have to rush off. You know, you don't have to rush off. And I was like, no, no, I have to stay with my timeline. Like, so I was supposed to move in in February. I got to move in in February. You know, I just, <laughs> you, know, you know, that's how I'm wired. It anyways. is how you're wired, like, even to this day. <laughs> have the plan, work the plan, keep the plan. But uh, some of the ladies at the World Victory Church thought it would be nice to throw me a housewoman party. Because, I mean, I really didn't have much of anything. My mom had given me a washing machine and dryer. And then my dad had a bedroom suit that was at my granny's in Atlanta that his grandmother bought for him. And she told me when I was a little kid, you know, he's going to give you this when you're old. (laughs) So I had reminded his wife of that. My stepmother, Pat, when they got married, was like, you know, if you ever get rid of that, uh, granny green said that was mine. So while I was in prison, they moved in a new house and they, put that over at my granny's because they thought probably I would go live with her, but Mm -hmm. then I didn't. But then, so I went and got, you know, my bedroom suit from there. And, but that was all I had. I had a bedroom suit. I had a washing machine and dryer. Thank you, mama. And, um, a car, but I didn't have much else. So the ladies wanted to throw me a, uh, a housewarming party, and I thought that was cool. But then I was kind of weird because I was like, ain't that what you do when you get married? And they were like, no, you're starting your own home. Like, you need you Yeah, need for things. sure. That's a thing, for sure. So I was like, okay, let's do that. And then uh, somehow it got out, you know, at my job that I was having a housewarming party. Then all of a sudden all them people wanted to come. So it turned into like this huge, like, event. And it was on a Sunday, and, you know, somebody brought food, and it was just – this was a little little bitty dupe. It was a two bedroom, you know, probably seven eight hundred square feet, and there was like thirty people that came through there that yeah. day. But uh, there was a, one of the assistant chefs that worked at Rossi's. He was from Italy, and he did not speak very good. He could speak English, but it wasn't like great English. And I remember him. Uh, his wife was the banquets director there. And she was American. She spoke good English. But he, he came up to me and he was like, James, I really want to come to your party. But can you tell me, like, explain to me, like, what is, uh, how do you say, uh, warm house party? <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, no, it's a housewarming party. So what ended up happening was every I didn't have to buy anything. They gave me everything. Oh, wow. Sam Abson, his wife, gave me a couch and a Love seat, like they bought it new, or was it? No, used some or? some some stuff was new, but like there that stuff, it was like it was like an old couch that you know they got they upgraded, and he he wanted me to have it, so we went and got that. Me and Jimmy went over there, picked that up. Then um, there was a couple at the World Victory Church, Scott and Leslie Sides. They brought me their it was a, a dining room table and chairs, a coffee table and end tables that she had grown up with. And that, oh wow! It was, but her parents let me have it. They went to church there. It was just, it was just crazy, the stuff. And then, you know, towels and washcloths, dishes, cook. I mean, everything. They gave me everything. They just set was, you up. One lady sent like a garbage can. This older lady that went to World Victory Church, she filled up like a garbage can, like a big outside garbage can, just full of stuff. Like she went and bought everything. Wow. So it was a, that was like a high point. Yeah. And then um, it was a great day. You know, my family sent stuff. 
my aunt Sue sent me all my bedding and you know just everything I needed stuff I didn't even know I needed you know I don't I'd never lived by this is gonna make people that are moving want to have a housewarming party (laughs) do it do it I mean especially if you're starting out it was pretty neat yeah but then probably the only thing I got I didn't want somebody gave me a fish inside of a vase with a plant on top of it (laughs) and I was just like I can't be taking care of no fish but anyways the next day the fish was dead so I felt released from that but um (laughs) it um I had a weird, that first night being there, everybody was leaving. Then Tommy and Brenda like hung back. And then I was like, okay, it's time for y'all to go. And as soon as they left, I had like this fear set in. It was like, and I realized. Wait, I, hold on. Was this your first, actual first night sleeping there? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I did, I decided I'm just going to do the housewarming party and then I'm just going to stay. Oh, okay. Oh, you yeah. Know, I moved all my stuff from Tommy I mean, and Brenda's house. I mean, why not? House. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I mean, I was paying rent, I was right. paying power bill, paying water, you know, paying all the stuff, and I didn't, I just knew I needed to do the next thing. Right. But I had like this, when they left, it was like this nagging, like fear just sat in on me, and I realized I've never been alone in my whole life. I've, wow. Because, you know, I, when I went to prison, I was in my mama's house, mm-hmm. and <laughs> once you get to jail and prison, you're never alone. Right. So this was like, I was 27 years old. And this was the first time I'd ever been alone. So it was. Wow. But it was strange. I knew that I had a choice. Like you have to just make a choice and you have to push through or you're going you're gonna to stay stuck. So I just decided to push through. I prayed and said, Jesus, help me. And I never had any problems with it after that. But so, that first night was scary. So what were you afraid of? I don't know. It was, I didn't, it was like an unexpected feeling of I'm all alone. Now. Yeah, I guess it was just kind of a foreign feeling because yeah. you had never been in that place before. Like I'm out of the nest. There's nothing. Yeah. There's it's, I'm an adult. <laughs> you know, go figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you got two bedrooms, a bathroom, a living room, and a kitchen. Mm-hmm. So you know, go go figure it out. So it was uh, it was crazy. But then the next crazy thing that happened right after that. Remember, I told you that right before the day I was getting out of prison, that chaplain Lindsay at Donaldson. Like, got up in my face and told me, don't be trying to come back in my prison. And I, I was like, I, I'm trying to leave your prison. And he, he had said, you know, I, I know you want to, you, you got a velvet tongue, you got all these volunteers full, but uh, you're going to have to prove me at least two or three years that you're doing the right thing before you ever ask to come back in here. And I, I remember I was just so aggravated with him. I think that was the yeah. end of the last season. Well, the Honor Dorm had a family night twice a year. They had one in February and one in like, uh, August, September. And there was one coming up in February and it would be the first one that I didn't attend because I'd been a part of the honor dorm since we started it, but it was where people could have their families come in. They could bring food. And it was just, it was just a crazy neat deal. But I got a call from Steve and I was in between shifts at Rossi's and he said, you'll never guess what I have in my hand. And I said, okay, what what do you have in your hand? He said, I have a piece of paper here that says James K. Jones is allowed to come into Donaldson Correctional Facility for family night as long as you're with me, as long as you're with Steve Longnecker. So I was like, wow. I Did mean, he, like, request that? I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure how that ha- Maybe, probably. Yeah. But it was to encourage the guys because, you know, it's one thing for them to hear, but another thing for you to see them and to be able to talk right, to them. Right, right. And um, so I'm five months out of prison and I'm going four months out of prison, and I'm going back in. Wow. So that was crazy. But I got to go and spend the evening with them. Did um, you feel any kind of 
PSTD or no PTSD. PTSD. <laughs> no. Like, you know, before going in, not at all. No, I never have. No, I knew I was done. You know, I'm done with that. I'm just thinking, though, what kind of emotions or kind of, you know, that you felt going back in there and seeing probably a lot of the same guys. There must have been. Yeah, this was only three or four months later. I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, it was, uh, they were elated. I mean, they were like over the top, just so excited to see him, especially Coverhouse. It was just. It was crazy. It was neat and it was crazy. And I, I just saw it as like a gift. Yeah. Like from Jesus. It was just so it's not you don't get you don't get to do that. Right. They yeah. make you wait, you know. But then I never stopped going in. I've been going back in ever since. Yeah. Been, never had a problem with it. Um mm-hmm. it was just pretty cool. That was just a neat little gift from that time. But then um it seemed like you know how they say things happen in threes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I try not when like when when storms start coming at you, I always try to think, okay, I don't believe in all that three stuff, but it does seem like when, when things start happening, it's like one thing, then another, then another. Right. Well, the first thing that happened, like, gosh, it couldn't have been two or three weeks after I moved into my own apartment. There was uh, some kind of controversy with Tommy at the World Victory Church, and I'm not, I don't think I need to say what, but he had kind of a, a more. Tommy, who you were living with. Yeah. Or I had stayed with in yeah. the interim, yeah. So he had some kind of like a moral conflict, and he got fired from the church. And then his wife, Brenda, she announced that she was leaving him. She was getting a divorce. Like she couldn't be with him, you know, anymore. And they had been married for years and years, right? Yeah, like 30 years. I mean, wow. a, a long time. And then. He quit going to church at Warwick Church, but then Brenda kept going there, and then she, like, confessed to me, like, the way she said it was, you know, I was living my life, doing my thing, and then you came into my home, and you just breezed through here like a tornado. And I was like, what? Like, what? Like, me? And she was like, no, no, it was a tornado of life. Like, it was... It was good. Like I, I, I'm, I'm been depressed and didn't know why, and I just need to get out of the situation. But that made me feel guilty. Like, don't put that on me. But it was almost like she didn't want to live in her house anymore after I left. But I was only there for four months, so it was just weird. Like the whole thing started getting more weird and weirder and weirder. So there was like a split with Tommy. Well, hold on. I feel like we need to like pause there because I'm sure people have questions. What? I mean, that that is so – so what she was saying was, I guess, I'm just – and you correct me if I'm wrong. Like, yeah. It's almost like you're living like kind of a mundane, doing the same thing. Yeah. And then, I mean, part of me can see how someone comes in just out of prison who has a new lease on life and new I was excited, motivation yeah. to move forward and as you – Say over and over again, do the next thing and mm-hmm. take the next step. And so that just like awakened her soul. I mean, that sounds very dramatic, but is that what she was telling you? Pretty much, but it wasn't just that. There was some, uh, there was a moral conflict that was, uh, helped her make that decision. We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. 
Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. You mean between her and Tommy? Yes. Yeah, okay. So I guess, too, it just kind of made her stare truth what was really happening. Yeah, like she came to a place of... And needed to do something different. Like she, And I told you in the last episode, I started realizing, like, most of the stuff with Tommy was a facade. Mm -hmm. Like he, he had a wallpapering business, and then he was a pastor at this church. But then if you get to know him, like if you scratch the surface, you realize, like... No, all this is a mess. Like every everything is like half truths and a mess. And I just, uh, you know, if I ever say anything to him, he'd be like, "Who do you think you are? You little wet behind the ears, you little green." You know, like telling me I didn't know what I was talking about. And I'm, just, it just it got bad really quick. It went bad. It's interesting though how you know someone like that can be used for such great things and he helped you so much. He and did. And I, I'll never so, take that. Um, equipped you in so many ways, yeah. you know, tangibly. Believed in me, was there for me. Right, but he had his own issues going well, we on. We all, you know, on this side, we all have issues. I, that's what I'm saying. And I mean, that, that's one thing I love about, you know, our pastor Chris, our pastor, like, he, he says that. Everybody, when you go to church, you wear a mask because that's what you do at church. So, you have to find people that you can get in relationship in small groups to um, take the mask off and be honest because you can only you can only be healed if you're honest. Mm-hmm. Like you have, and you don't have to tell everybody all your business, but somebody needs to know your secrets, right? Because see, what do they say? You're only as sick as your secrets. Like you can't you can't be free in, until you get the secrets out. But you know, this was the the late nineties, two thousands. Like that, they weren't doing church like that then. It was all this big, you know, grand, you know, God is powerful and let's have church and let's just do all that. But I can see how coming back to the Brenda thing, how you were just like, how it almost kind of made you feel like. I did. I felt bad. I didn't cause all this craziness. Because I didn't. I I knew I didn't. Right. Well, it was there before you got there. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of stepped into it. Right. But it was sad, but it, you know, ended up, you know, it worked out what it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. But I could, after that, I couldn't be in close relationship with Tom anymore. And there was something about him, like when he was helping me, like, I remember when, the first time my granny met him, she was like, who is that man? Is he your parole officer? And I was like, no, he goes to church with me. And she's like, he thinks that he's in charge of you and that he owns you. I'm like, granny, n- nobody owns me. But I started like seeing that, like, as like, the more like freedoms I got, like he wanted some kind of like control over me. And, you know, human nature is like that. Like when you... um that's why I'm always careful if I do something for somebody. Like if I help someone, you don't help people and then expect something in return. Like if you help people, you do it from a pure heart where I just want to help you. Because that was basically like he was trying to, you know, he said he always wanted a son and God never gave him a son, gave him a daughter. You know, I was this, you know, like his son. I was like, well, I don't know about all that. But it just, it just got, 
never did for me, but it got like kind of codependent for him. Well, it's so interesting you say that because I do think this should be, I don't know, I just think it should be said in something that I've noticed just how people's identity can be caught up in even being the helper yes, or being the quote-unquote savior. And Mm -hmm. then that almost makes you, because I've even seen this in your story and our story, Mm -hmm. as long as it's been since you've been out, it's almost like, I don't think it's intentional, but you become like a project that makes them feel valued or good about themselves. And like, you can just see how unhealthy that is when I'm saying it. Mm -hmm. But I think when you're in the middle of it, you almost like don't realize it's happening. No, you don't. Like I'm not saying taking, I mean, you've talked about taking on the identity of a prisoner Mm -hmm. and then taking on like I'm coming out of prison. But I think, I mean, and I've been guilty of this taking on an identity of like, Oh, I'm the, I'm, I'm the helper. I'm helping them. I'm the person who got them out and got them started. And it's bad. And that becomes like enmeshed in the identity, which I think is not healthy, which is what you're saying. Yeah. And so it it came to a place where that had to come to an end. Right. And then, um, right after that, the job thing kind of came to an end because they, okay, but you were loving the job. So what happened there? I was, it was my, I was living my best life. I was learning how to wait table. I would even go back there and cook with the chefs and stuff because, you know, I'm always be cooking. Right. <laughs> but I was doing banquets. I was learning. I was just so much that I learned there. It was crazy. And also, I was making a, a ton of money. So, like, why did that unravel? What happened? Well, um, something happened with the Nabil. He was the dining room guy, manager guy. Mm-hmm. He, I can't remember. He quit or got fired or something. And they hired a guy. His name was John Bertolini. He would end up becoming like one of my closest friends, even to this day. I mean, I don't see him as much as I used to, but he was my boss at first. He was the general manager of Rossi's. He was like one of those guys that had went to school to be a restaurant manager, was used to being in corporate places, very talented, very smart. You know, he knew the restaurant business inside and out. And Mm -hmm. they basically brought him in to clean up, you know, the mess. It was some of the stuff was a mess because Nabil was like a, people person like he was you know you know, figure the rest out but uh they they hired him and he came in and he was there for like three or four months and we became like close friends but mm-hmm. it was but it never really crossed like the boundary of him being my boss but he there was just a lot of mess and he would always call on me to help him mm-hmm. and i remember one time a conversation that he and I had, we were short and we had these banquets and all this stuff going on. And he was just like in a panic. And I was like, I told him about the honor dorm, <laughs> like how we came up with a plan to make it work. And I said, I've learned, you know, we can make, if we have a plan, we can figure it out with the people we got and we can, we can execute it and do it. And he looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, no, let's just sit down. We only had like an hour. Let's come up with a plan. And we did. And we killed it, knocked it out of the park. And, I mean, I think I made like $500 that night, and so did the other servers. But after that, he was just like, I don't know. Like, he was. Come on, if you did know. Because <laughs> that sounds great, so I'm confused. He just felt, no, he felt like, after that, he was like, James kind of knows what he's talking about. But it wasn't that I knew anything about the restaurant business or waiting tables. I just knew that if you're in a fix, that if you can come up with a strategy and a plan, 
you can make it work, and it did. And he, I don't, it was a respect thing. He he respected me after that. Okay. But then something happened right after that where Nabil wanted to come back, and they fired John Bertolini, and he was it was just awful just watching. And he was my friend by that time. And then you know I had these problems with uh, with John Ed Willoughby because of the girlfriend and all the stuff. And oh right, because you thought you had been meeting his wife, but it was his girlfriend, and then you actually <laughs> met the wife. Yes. Yeah. So I was trying to like push through, and then John Ed came and was like, "I had a dream that you quit working here. Don't quit working here." And I was like, "Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens." But then um, I think it was the second or third day, and the bill was back. I went in. I had two parties that I was scheduled to work. He was a player. Like, he wanted to, like... Who was? Nabil. John Ed or Nabil? Okay. Nabil. Like, he was... And they didn't care. It was like, he would find these girls that he wanted to be, you know, in relations with. <laughs> and then he would give mm-hmm. them parties and stuff so they would like him or whatever. So he, servers, he, you mean? Yeah, he was using his position to uh, do extracurricular activities. Oh, but you know me, I'm all business. Like, I'm not... You know, if this is I'm working on putting my heart and soul into this, then, I, you know, I ain't playing them games. But I came in, <laughs> and he had taken a party from me and gave it to a girl that I knew that he was interested in. And I just, it just all stacked up, and it was stupid what I did because I didn't have a plan for what was next. But I just said, I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I packed up my stuff So and you left. just quit right there on the spot? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So that was hard, but it was... Uh, it was like I had a righteous anger because I felt like what they did to John Berlini was wrong, and he was my friend, and he was crushed. You know, they just did him dirty, just right. dirty. Well, and then that, it sounds like they did you dirty if he just, like, snagged a party that Oh, yeah. I have. mean, it was small what he did to me, but it wasn't just that he did it to me. It was that I kind of knew what his motives were. And I'm like, I'm not working. I'm not being involved in an or I'm not doing that. I'm not. I don't want to be on this team. If this is how we do business— Cause I'm not getting into the slimy and I'm not doing all that stuff. So I just, I quit. I said, I'm out. And the next day I, there was another restaurant that was similar to Rossi's down off 280. It was called uh, Connie Kanakis's. It was a Greek place, fine dining. Mm-hmm. I went, I had a uh, interview with the lady that ran the dining room there. She hired me and I was going to start the next day, but I did something really stupid I said, I I feel like I need to tell you something because I don't want you to find out later and you get aggravated with me. But I've been in prison, and I just got out of prison, and I've been with Rossi's for four months. And um, she looked like I like kicked her in her stomach, and she was like, I, I, never mind. It's not going to work out. I, don't, I, don't, I wish you wouldn't tell me. I don't think I don't, I don't want you here. Oh. So. Wow. But I did that to myself. I didn't have to tell her that. So she hired you, and then you just felt like you needed to tell the truth. And then she I just didn't like, want secrets. I didn't want to be in a place where there had to be secrets. Where, oh, what if somebody finds out? I've, and I still don't to this day. Like, just tell it. Tell it. Right. <laughs> I remember at our wedding, our wedding reception, your mom came up to me, and she was like, my cousin so-and-so's over there. Do I have to tell them you've been in prison? <laughs> I was like... Mama Lou, you don't have to tell anybody anything. It's not my identity. Plus, that's been 20 years yeah. ago. But, I, you know, but I just don't like secrets. It's I funny, want... like, hearing you retell this story, or, you know, at this time, because so many of these attributes <laughs> is, like, exactly who you are today and how you are today. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it, funny. it caused me problems. But I can see how back then it did cause problems as you were only four months out of prison. Well, yeah. I... I and I'd learned that in life after prison. You don't give information. But I just felt like I don't want to work here if it's got to be a secret. And then you find <laughs> out it's going to be weird. 
But uh, so she said she didn't want me there, and that it hurt my feelings. And I thought I need to get out of the restaurant world. You know, I just need to do something else. And so I just, um, you know, remodeled my little duplex and turned it from ugly to beautiful. You know, just with some little touch up. So I decided I was going to start a painting business. Like this would be fun. I could, I love doing this. I can do it. My first client was a lady from my church. You know, I charged her five hundred dollars to do uh, three bedrooms, a kitchen, or two bedrooms, a kitchen, a living room, a hallway, and a bathroom. And I thought it would take me three or four days. And you know, she had to buy all the paint, but I, I said it'd be five hundred dollars. It ended up taking like three weeks, oh, and wow. it was awful. Like I was, I was working from early in the morning to late at night, and it was just. I was so glad when I finished that, but she was happy with it. I mean, it was beautiful. Yeah. I totally like redid everything. But then um, the lady that owned the uh, my landlord, she owned a, a small real estate company, and she mm-hmm. had property all over Cava Heights. So she she hired me to start doing painting for her. Oh, cool! And no, but I I ended up I hated it. Like it was like okay, I can do this once every now, <laughs> but just do it every day, and just always having paint and. So I didn't know what to do. I was kind of in a in like a wilderness with that. You know, I was keeping up with my bills and all the things I had to. But then, like, right after that, that was when we kind of had to split with the World Victory Church. But it had been coming. It had been building. They moved. You said we had to split. Like, well, tell we, me what you mean. We split. Like, I split with them. You split with them. Okay. With the World Victory Church. So mm. there was a, a bunch of little stuff that kept happening, but then— the the pastor there, he his like sermons and stuff just started getting harder and harder and harder and he started talking about everybody's sinning and all you know, it was just not good. And then his attitude towards me was that I, I started feeling like the token convict in the in the congregation. Yeah. And I didn't, you know. Kind of like what we just talked about. A project. Yeah. And I'm not going to be anybody's project. Mm-hmm. You know, even if, you know, you help me. But help, if you are helping me, let's move on. Let's don't, I don't got to, I'm not staying here. And then um, they asked me to be an usher. And then they said, if you're an usher, you have to wear a suit and tie every Sunday. And it started getting hot. And it was just... It seems <laughs> started getting hot. No, but I'm, come on now. In, in June, July, you got to put on a, yeah. a three-piece suit to go to church, and it's sweaty, and it's just, it just was not working out. And then, but the church was also not growing; it was like shrinking. Mm-hmm. So, but they would do this big like thing where they would, you know, they had all these people up on the stage, and he would preach, and they would sing and holler and do all that stuff. But there was many times I would look up and there would be more people on the stage than there were in the congregation. <laughs> so it was just like, That's I don't know. Funny. But I didn't want to leave because I had this statistic that I heard. You ha- if you can be with one church with one job for one year, then you, your statistics go up in making it. So I was like struggling with that plus I didn't want to church hop. But then it kind of came to a head when they did a special uh, church service <laughs> where they had a visiting traveling person that came in. Mm-hmm. His name was Tim. I don't remember his last name. So a visiting traveling person, like for I, those of us that... I don't know. He like went around from church to church and put on services. Like spoke or whatever. <laughs> oh, he did more than speak. <laughs> um, they say that he was a prophet. And a prophet, if you don't know oh. what that is, is people that can tell you things that God is saying to you. But he also said that he was an anointed psalmist. And I was like, what does that mean? And uh, somebody that was next to me was like, he, it means he writes his own 
songs from the Lord. So I was like, okay. And then out in the lobby, he was also had a clothing business with Christian <laughs> symbols on them. So he was a, let's break this down. He was a prophet. He was a prophet. A he so- was a songwriter. Songwriter. A.K. anointed psalmist. Singer. He also had a clothing line. Clothing line. It's called <laughs> Zion Clothes or something. Some religious thing attached to it. But they were like, it was like, ain't nobody finna pay $80 for no pair of jeans. Especially looking like were that. Were they anointed jeans? Were they? <laughs> he said they were. But you know, I'm not into all that. So he was doing, he started off the night with a little message. Then he was going to do the prophecies. So that means everybody's supposed to walk up there and he's supposed to tell you something. So I walked up there and he like laid his hands on me and like took a deep breath and shivered and was like, I have a word for you, brother James. So I was like, okay. and I was see, I was like sincere, like I'm waiting on my word. And he was like, I see a book opened. The book is opened from Birmingham to Montgomery. The interpretation of this vision is that you shall preach the gospel from Birmingham to Montgomery and from Montgomery to Birmingham, but nowhere else. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, <laughs> you know, even none of this is. And I've been, I've studied, I have teaching. Like they say, if somebody gives you a prophecy, you either know it's right or it's not. And if you know it's not, then you're not supposed to even think about it. So I went back and sat down and was like, well, maybe, maybe he's, you know, Good for somebody else. Maybe Jesus don't want to tell me anything tonight. <laughs> but uh, he started singing a song, and the song was about the anointing, and that's what they call like when the God's presence comes down. And the anointing in the Old Testament, they did it with oil. So <laughs> that's like how they, you know, the some of these like, with oil. What big, what do they do with the oil? Well, in the Old Testament, they would anoint people with oil. Like, Does that the, mean you? Pour it on them, or yeah, like the priests and the. But these were Jewish people. Like they did. This was a long and plus you needed oil back then because you were dry. And I don't know. I don't. Know. <laughs> Let's talk off on that. I know, no, but I'm trying to understand when you're talking like this. It's like what in the Old Testament translate? they used they used oil to like anoint kings and prophets and okay. people. And so in the New Testament, the anointing is this is not that. It's the spirit. Okay. Of of God, uh-huh. you know that's the anointing. So he started singing about the anointing, and he's up there, and he's got like one of those little pop-up keyboard things, and he's up there, and then he starts singing about the anointing, and then he starts calling it the grease, <laughs> and he says, "A.K. Oil." <laughs> yeah. So he starts calling it the grease, and I think he, I think they said he was making this up in real time. I don't know. But then he started singing, the song was Release the Grease. So he was like, Lord, release the grease, release the grease. And it was getting weirder and weirder, like, by the second. It just kept, like, it was just more weird and weird. So I'm sitting there. There was probably 50 people in the congregation, maybe a little bit more. So they started a march. They started riding the train. You know, come on, ride this train. Let's ride it. Come on, ride the train. It's the choo choo. But it was the release the grease train. So everybody was on the train, going around the church, hollering and carrying on. And it was not a very big church. It was just a little. I don't. I couldn't get up. I couldn't do it. 
um, you couldn't bring yourself to... I couldn't get on that train. And I was watching the train, <laughs> and they were going around, and he just kept getting louder and louder, and he would say the same thing over, release the grease. <laughs> then he started spelling it, R-E-L-E-A-S-E-T-H-E-G-R-E-A-E-S-E. You know, just... So were people singing along with him or yeah, clapping they or were what? they were carrying on. They were carrying on. So they went around a few times. I was towards the back, and I didn't get on the train. So they stopped the train for James. And the pastor's wife was like, James, come on, you're supposed to be on this train. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to get on the train. She was like, come on and get on this train. Get on this train. So I got up. I got on the train. I walked. I didn't holler into I walked around one, one full time. One lap. Did one lap on the train, and I got to the end. <laughs> Stepped off the train. I wasn't in the middle anymore. I looked back and I said, Lord Jesus, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And I left and I never went back. Like that's, You never went back after that? Nope. That's the end. <laughs> I mean, I tried to stay nice and just, you know. Mm-mm. Did they call you because you had been part of that church and yeah. they had helped you with the prison stuff? There was and a lot. The yeah. housewarming party, mm-hmm. all that. You just were I'm like, out. we're done. I'm out. <laughs> I'm not doing all that. I'm not doing all Thank that. Thank you for the housework. <laughs> Thank you for the... <laughs> no, no, I kept relationships. Like, I kept yeah. a lot of... But most of the people that I was in a relationship had already left. Okay. <laughs> like, but he would do stuff like if somebody missed church, he would talk about them from a sermon. Like, call them out. Oh, you know what's wrong with them? You know why they have proms? It's because they don't pay their tithes. <laughs> like, people that's struggling with little kids, that's you know, and horrible. he's wanting to give them. It was just, it was time. It was time for that me That is hilarious. So you literally stepped off the train I and got out off the door. The train. No, but I could see the train from the other side, and I was just like, I ain't supposed to be on the train. <laughs> You know, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm like, I ain't even judging them. If y'all want to ride the train, ride the train. <laughs> but James K. Jones is not supposed to be on this train releasing the grease with the anointed psalmist. And I just, it's just time for me to move on. Like, it's just time. And, you know, there was no hard feelings. Um, actually, uh, during that time, the uh, pastor there had loaned me some money because I was struggling. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we had set up something like I would pay like $100 a month to pay it back. It was right. when I was trying to start a painting business that ended up oh, yeah. as a disaster. But I uh, I mailed him a check every month, you know, just like I said I would. Uh-huh. And then at the end, I got a really glowing letter from him. And he was like, you've beat the statistics. You know, you did what you said you were going to do, and I'm so proud of you. And I don't have any hard feelings towards him. Right, right. It's just I'm just not... I'm not into all that. You just weren't supposed to be on that train. <laughs> no. And I really don't feel like I was I was supposed to be a part of that church because it was going in a different direction. Yeah. And But it... it okay, so I, I, my relationship with Tommy fell apart. My job fell apart. Then I started tried to start a business. That fell apart. Then my church fell apart. Mm-hmm. And then um, Steve came to me. You know, I was still meeting with Steve like once a week. But he said... Um, you got to stay connected in the community of believers. And so I was like, I don't know. I don't know where to go. Like I'm a, He said, well, why don't you come hang out with me for a little bit? And I said, no, I don't like your church. I don't like the dog biscuit people and Happy and all them, Joel. The dog biscuit people. You don't remember Remind last me. time the lady... That was the first time I went to Steve's church. She stood up at share time and tried to sell dog biscuits. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm not... I'm just not into all that. It's not my... You know, and he was like, look, I'm not asking you to stay you don't have to stay but you got to be connected somewhere you're connected to me just come just do this for a little while till you can you know till you can like clear your head figure out what you want to do next and i'm here and i'll support you Mm -hmm. but he he said you have to be 
you have to be plugged in in a community of believers. Yeah. Like you have to. You can't just not go to church. And I was like, I know that, but it's just I don't want to go to that church. Right. But I, I felt like I didn't have anything else to do, so I went to his church, mm-hmm. and I didn't care for it. Um, but then there was that whole thing about, you know, I still had, you know, like was interested in his daughter. But then, oh yeah, the sparks had flown. Yeah, but then right after I started going to this church, she got engaged to her little boyfriend. Oh, okay. So that was rough. I mean, it was like, well, I don't know. It was just depressing. Time. Yeah. So all that stuff, my first three or four or five months started feeling like you know where I thought I had like the Midas touch and everything was great, and I'm hey, how you doing? It all just landed where everything just fell apart. It's like you. It was like you were done with the honeymoon period of coming <laughs> yeah. out of prison. Now it's time to get into real life, right? And then. That just led me to, you know, just a, honestly, that, that first summer I was in a deep depression. You know, I lived by myself. I was by myself. Mm-hmm. I think the first, like, thing that really, like, shocked me was uh, I didn't have any air. <laughs> and I didn't know. Like I air did. conditioning? No, I didn't know I didn't have any air. Like, I remember there was, like, one of those, it was a small apartment in the heat was like one of those little furnaces that was in the hallway that kind of heated up the whole house. Oh, because you moved in in February. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. Live, but I didn't have any air. Like there, like I didn't. There was no like central heating air. And like the first day it got hot, I was like, "What is happening?" Did you have a window unit? No. Oh my gosh! It was like mm. if you wanted one, you had to go get your own. They didn't yeah. supply anything. Like I had to go get my own refrigerator, my own stove, and so. Now I found out I had to go get my own AC. <laughs> so <laughs> that was weird. And I didn't really understand how window units worked. And, you know, by that time I was struggling financially. Right. And so I just I went to Walmart or somewhere and bought one and put it in the... I thought, if I'm going to be hot, I don't want to be hot in my bedroom. Right. So right. I put one in the bedroom. Eventually I got one for every other room. Yeah. But it was just... It was depressing. And, yeah, that is. Whew. You know, here I was, this... Hot summer of 2000, I had no air. And what were you doing for money at that point? Well, oh, I had uh, tried to do the uh, start my own business. It didn't work out. The painting. Yeah. I mean, it worked out for a minute, but it didn't work out long. And then I had taken on some odd jobs with a guy that was building log cabins that I went to church with, and I hated that. So I was trying not to go back into the restaurant business, and my friend John Bertolini he lived in Helena, Alabama, which is uh, probably about 30 minutes south of Birmingham. Mm-hmm. He had, was so scarred by what happened to him at Rossi's that he took a job with his neighbor who owned a landscaping company in Helena. That was up and coming. Like they were, Their business was booming, driving a dump truck. And it was like the guy paid like $10 an hour, and all you had to do was just, you know, ride, drive. And uh, he told me, talked to the guy, and he wanted me to come give that a shot. Cause he, well, plus he knew I liked working the yard. And I do. I love working the yards. I love yeah. doing landscaping. So I thought, you know, maybe that's something I could try. I didn't need a lot of money, but it was nice to have it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like my household bills weren't that much. My rent was only like $300 a month. Right. But so I, I took the job thinking, okay, I got to figure out, you know, what's next. And I was feeling like, you know... I, I'd always thought I was supposed to be like involved in ministry and helping people and mm-hmm. doing something, and it, that none of that was working out. And so I thought, well, if I can do the uh, drive the dump truck, you know, I, I'll just start studying with tapes and stuff while I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And I drove the dump truck for one day. It was basically you had to go somewhere and they had to fill it up, and then you had to bring it back and dump it out. 
And when I got back at the end of that day, the boss, uh, his name was Greg. He was like, man, that service. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? I'd gotten like 10 loads back and forth in my eight hours. And most people only got seven. And I was just like, I was just doing what you said. I mean, I stopped. <laughs> I took an hour for lunch. Like I did everything you told me to do. But he was impressed with me. And the next day I came in and he's like, I decided to put you in charge of a landscape crew. And I was like, I don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> so he throws me the keys to this brand new, like $100,000 truck and gave me like seven workers and sent me out. And <laughs> did you know what you were doing? No, I know I did not. I didn't know anything about it, but he just said, I know you can figure it out. And I'm here, you know, he gave me walkie talkies. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was kind of having fun at first, but then it just kept, because you know me, I'm not into like, not that I'm not into. I'm not like wired. I don't. I don't do good with like heavy equipment or fixing stuff. Like I can like paint something. I can plant a tree. I can't build a wall. You know. I can't do. But they did. Like they built like walls. They put in uh, sprinkler systems. And I was always tearing up something. <laughs> something was getting like I would rip the bumper off or knock the walls down. Or one of the funniest stories about that summer was I couldn't. I can't back up a trailer even to this day. I can't back up. A, tra- a trailer but we would have to pull trailers with the bobcat on it and trying to back it into the yard at the end of the day i knocked a, a wall down that was built out of like cross ties and so the the mexicans that worked on my crew i would pull in to the thing and they knew i couldn't back it up so they would take the bobcat off and there was like six of them would like physically pick up the trailer and move <laughs> it so that i could just back it in and it was fun he, I mean, he was only paying me like $10 an hour, but then if I had overtime, he'd pay me in cash. So I was making it, but I, I was hating it. Mm-hmm. And then the the last job I did for him was like the end of that summer was where we put in, we had to put in um, sprinkler systems. Mm-hmm. And so we had this thing called a trencher and you would have to go in and you'd have to dig like uh, six feet or four feet. I can't remember. But with a trencher, if there's any kind of wires in the way, if it's a phone wire, a gas line, <laughs> and you hit it, it's gone. Yeah. So, and then you have problems with the homeowners. And I did that all the time. Like I was hitting the gas or what? my cable don't work or my phone's out. And so it was just, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And the last one I did for Greg was in Vestavia. It was a big house that we we were there for like two weeks. We did all kind of stuff. But we were putting in a sprinkler system in the back. And I'd started to, to trench a hole. And I was at the edge of a, uh, I don't know if a trencher is like a thing that goes down in the ground, like you lower it with a, with a switch and it okay. goes down and it just, it creates like a little thin hole to be able to run pipes through for um, a sprinkler system. Uh-huh. But as I was lowering that down in at the edge of the yard next to the fence, it hit a rock and it bounced. And when it bounced, it grabbed the chain link fence. Whoosh, oh my gosh. It no, it was a, a miracle that I didn't get hurt, but. It was like the fence was there one time, one minute, and the next minute the fence was gone. <laughs> and then it was just, there were just poles standing there, and I felt like the poles were mocking me. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing here? You felt like the poles were mocking they, you? They were mocking me. The poles were just looking at me like, why are you doing this? Like, this is not, because I'm not even good at stuff. Like, I can play in a flower bed, but I can't right. do so I got my little walkie-talkie. It was like you go, and it was a phone, too, but if you did it, all the people would hear you. Right. So I was like, does anybody know how to fix a chain-link fence? <laughs> <laughs> and my boss was like, why? And so 
I drove back that day. I went in and I said, look, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity. This has been something a hard slimmer. <laughs> you know, I mean, he paid me the best he could. He did. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got some poisoning now and I'm miserable. And I said, this is, I'm tired of tearing up your equipment and you have this sadness <laughs> about me and you want to keep letting me do it. But this is, I'm not made for this. So I said, I want, I'm putting in a notice. I need to put in a notice and I need to do something else. And he said, well, if you don't work here, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going back to my world. I'm going back to the <laughs> restaurant world. I'm going to get me a job in a restaurant. And he was like, how long do you think that would take you to do that? And I said, probably, I could probably find a job by the end of the day. And he said, well, you're free if you want to just be done. No, he was a good guy. Yeah. He, he knew I, he knew you're my story. <laughs> and, uh, but he was like, you know, if you ever, you know, if you ever need anything, I'm here. And, you know, he became... Like a friend. What's his name? Greg? Greg uh, Eddins. He's still, I mean, that landscaping company's humongous, like Jesus, we're up, Walmart world. What was the name of it? E&E Landscaping. It was okay. two brothers. Okay. Their last That's name cool. is Eddins, so it was E&E. Yeah. So I moved on from that, but. Uh, <laughs> You're free. <laughs> just everything, everything just, everything just fell apart. And I was back, you know. Trying to, you know, I still had all the fines, and it was just, it was a hard, hard summer. And then I guess maybe just to, like, top that all off, my mom was having health problems, and she needed surgery, but she was in some kind of situation. And so I told her, if you just come up here, I'll take you to UAB, and we'll figure it out. So her husband slash boyfriend, they'd been married at one point. He brought her up there and dropped her off. And then I took her to UAB and helped her get some surgery. But it was hard um, having her. I'm like, I, Mom, I never knew you talked so much, like, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but then um, I found a job in Mountain Brook at a place called the Lemongrass Bistro. Mm -hmm. And it was in the mall there in Mountain Brook. It was real fancy. And the lady that ran it, she was like, amazing chef like to this day my mouth waters thinking about the food that she made but she was in mountain brook and she hired me to be a server and if for people that don't know mountain brook's like the the richest part of alabama maybe even the richest part of the southeast but they don't uh they don't tip good <laughs> like you can like you would think if somebody had a trust fund and two bazillion dollars they'd give you a a good tip if you wait wait on them. Yeah, Mountain Brook is known for um, old money, I guess, <laughs> and they say it's the something about the f fifth. It's definitely top ten richest zip codes in the country. Oh yeah, it's but it's old money. It's interesting. It's, yeah. it's beautiful real estate, old money. I always wonder where does what does that even mean? Where does old money come from? You know, like if you had a your ancestors or your grandfather or somebody started like Coca Cola or Birmingham News or oh, Walmart, yeah, yeah. you know. That's yeah. how, that's old money. Like, you just have more than you need. But anyways, I worked for her for two or three weeks, and it, it, she was always asking me to go run to Sam's for um, You know, take the keys to my Mercedes, run to Sam's, and buy this, that, and the other. And, but she wasn't paying me. She was paying me two, you know, when you're a server, you get paid two fourteen an hour. Or you did oh, then. I'm wow, not sure it yeah. is now. But then... Oh, yeah, because you get your money in tips. Yeah, but then yeah. I wasn't making any money in tips. But then oh. her... I think it came to an end for me. There was a hair salon upstairs, and I waited on these girls, and it was like six of them that came there having like a little office party. And we just had the funnest time. And there was this uh, 
this African-American girl, when I brought the bill, because she charged a lot for her food, she was like, we're going to pay this bill, and we're going to tip you good because you did great, and this is not your fault. But I want you to go back and tell your boss lady, if she want to know why this place is empty, <laughs> look at what she's charging. Because, you know, because she did, she overcharged. And then I was like, well, I can't work here if I can't, like, pay my bill. There's no reason for me to get dressed and come here. Yeah. So I had moved on from that, and I ended up um, the day that mom had her surgery was while I was trying to find another job. And I had taken her to UAB, and I was with her all day down there. And I literally had $3 in coins in my pocket. That was all I had, like, to my name. And like, wow. I was trying to take care of myself. Now I had my mom trying to take care of her. And, like, just that fear, like, I was just scared. Like, what am I going to do? But it's like I knew I just needed to keep stepping. And I never missed anything. I never missed a rent payment or a bill or a fine. I made it through, but it was so But in hard. that moment, you literally had $3 to your name? Under $3. Under $3. I, <laughs> that was that year. I, I was trying to pray, like, what do I do? I felt like I remember, like, people said, if you feel depressed, go do something for somebody else. So I went and gave blood. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I had to be there all day right. waiting on her surgery to be I done. I as well give blood while went I'm at it. Blood. But then... Um, <laughs> That and you know, going. I love Steve. He was my person, but like his church, like I felt like I was in the desert. Like these were not. I didn't want to be a part of it. And then um, uh, Shauna's wedding was coming up, so they were all celebrating that. But then I was in like a men's group with Steve, where he told, where Shauna said, you know, I, I think I'm not supposed to marry him, and he told her, oh, "That's the spirit of fear. Let me pray for you." And I remember just feeling like somebody kicked me in my stomach. I was like. I don't know if it's that. What if it's Jesus telling her, don't marry him because she's supposed to marry me? I mean, I didn't say that. Right, right. But I was just like, you know, going through that and then um, didn't want to do go watch the wedding and all that stuff. Cause, watch the wedding. Well, no, I, I really felt like I was like struggling with this. Like it was a this, show. <laughs> I was struggling this thing. I thought that she was the one. Like, I really believe that. But it just wasn't working out. Mm-hmm. But just like the church didn't work out. The relationship with Tommy didn't work out. The job didn't work out. Now, this was another thing that just wasn't working out. And I, it just got me, like, to my lowest point. I was depressed. Um, honestly, every day I would say, why am I here? Like, why do I live in Birmingham, Alabama, struggling by myself when I could go home? Like, I could go home um, to Phoenix City. I could go to my, I'd go to Atlanta to my granny's. And Steve was my anchor through all that. Like, every time he'd be like, James... This is life. I know that you think that, you know, life is rainbows and butterflies. This is life. If you leave, if you quit, you're going to quit again. So you've got to push through. And That is such sound advice and such wisdom. It was good. Because I do feel like, I mean, truly, who has not been in a place that they want to, like, okay, I need to just quit this. And Well, I woke up every morning like that. Like, okay. Today's the day. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to pack up. All, I'm just going to pack up and leave. I'm just going to go. And then, you know, after my mom left, um, that was hard because she was with me for two or three months. But then. Oh, she was with you two or three months. Well, she I didn't had to know heal that. up. Okay. And then they were having problems. There was problems in Phoenix. Who's they? Her and Jeff. Her, oh, okay. Her significant other. Mm-hmm. They were having to move out of the house that she had lived in for 10 years. And I was starting to feel like he was taking his responsibility to be her husband and passing it on to me. So I called him and said, you need to come pick her up. I'm not doing this. I'm just out of prison. It's time for her to come home. 
Okay, no, I, you barely could take care of yourself. With no, I couldn't. Three dollars in your pocket. <laughs> no, well, no. I the next day I got a job. Right. No, I'm just saying. Restaurant I, jobs I are easy to find. Understand your sentiment. But I was him. working two jobs. I found a job waiting tables at Tony Roma's, the rib place, and on Lakeshore. I did that at lunch, and then I found a job at a place um, south of Birmingham. It was a Greek restaurant called Justin's. But um, I worked lunch at Tony Roma's. I worked dinner at Justin's. Uh, it was like steak and seafood, but the guy that owned it, he was like a hot-headed Greek, and he had all these ideas, and he wanted all women to work lunch and all men to work dinner. So it was like he wasn't giving me a lot of shifts, and he was treating me like I wrote something down one time wrong on a ticket, the temperature down, and he like screamed at me and hollered at me and berated me and told me it was coming out of my tips, the price of the steak. And I'd only, I think I only worked for him a couple of months, but he was mean. And um, the rest of the staff like pulled their money and, and paid for it. Aww. It was like, and that I didn't even know them. I didn't know them, but it was just I was just in a like a lost kind of place where it was just, um, just, gosh, I hate this. Like I hate everything about this. I hate, you know, not having enough money. I hate trying to figure it out. And it was so. One of the hardest things I ever had to do was ask my mom to leave because that hurt her feelings. And then, you know, but it was, you know, I had to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. And, but again, every day I would wake up and be like, this is not, this, this is not life. That's not what I'm doing. I mean, I hate, I hated both the jobs I was working. I hated the church I was going to. I didn't hate it. I just felt like I wasn't getting anything out of it. Right. It was just not, it was like very conservative, very, you know, traditional. Well, just it's it's interesting. I mean, as you describe this, I feel like this. I've heard this so many times, and quite frankly, felt that so many times yeah. for myself. Like Everybody just does. being in a place of just like I hate this, and something's got to give. <laughs> so something's much, gotta change. right? Yeah. So, I mean, how do you push through? What happened next? You just don't quit. I've I've learned that, that when you're in a situation where it hurts and it's a dry season, you just don't quit. You just keep going. And so I just kept going, and then <laughs> it was funny how suddenly, like, that season ended. Like, if, in it, like, it felt like it was five years, but really, like, when I was doing the notes for this episode, it was only, like, uh, seven months of that hard, hard right. season. But uh, I got a call from uh, a lady named Doris. She had been a uh, a hostess when I worked at Rossi's, mm-hmm. and she was, like, one of those ladies, like, her husband had a good job. She didn't have to work. She just wanted to work. Mm-hmm. And um, she heard my story, became a James K. Jones fan, you know. Like so many of us do. <laughs> no, I mean, she did, but she mm-hmm. loved me, like, you know. And she went to church with Sam Abson and his wife, who was somebody I knew. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, did I mention Rossi's went out of business right after that? No, you didn't. Shut down that. for good. It really? ain't, the building's not even there now. They, they oh, came wow. through and knocked it down. So I was like, well, maybe I didn't make such a bad decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, she called me and she said, I know how much you liked working in Italian and, and, you know, you're doing so good and so great. I just, I took a job at this little place on Rocky Ridge Road. It's called Leonardo's. It's owned by one of the Brunos and Mr. Folletta. And, you know, the Brunos were the people that had, like, the Brunos uh, uh, grocery store chain. So, I don't know like, anything about that. Slocum, if you said Bruno back in them days, you knew. You're talking about that was big money. Oh, okay. Like, it was, uh, they started, and these were, like, back in the, you know, like, the 30s and 40s. They started the Brunos grocery store chain, and then one of the sons who actually 
co-owned Leonardo's. He started Big B Drugs, which got bought out by CVS. So, oh, okay. I mean, they were movers and shakers. They yeah. were making things happen. But uh, she said, uh, I think you would love it here. It's small. We have a great little lunch business, a little, great little dinner business. The food is authentic. So, you know, everything, it just, it just feels like something you would love. And so I got in my car and I rode. It was only like 10 minutes from where I lived. And I looked at it and it was a, had been a Taco Bell that had been converted into an Italian restaurant. And I was like, I don't know about that. But that was like uh, November of 2000. And um, I think we need to maybe pause on that and we'll pick up next because that was where my season changed. Well, okay, so that is interesting. Yes, let's pause and pick up next time. But you say now you can see that's where your season changed. But as you were driving to that restaurant, you got the job there like immediately. You didn't know. No, I didn't know how even, big of a change that was going to be. No, it would be. Uh, I mean, you said it suddenly changed, you know, earlier that that season ended. But like in that moment, you didn't know your season no. was suddenly changing. Well, no, I also didn't. In that moment, I didn't even know if I wanted to work there. Right. Like I was, I guess, like scarred from what happened at Rossi's. Like I don't, I'm not going to be in that kind of environment. Like the slimy, you know, I'm not doing that. Right. So I didn't know. But uh, so let me just say that this makes me very emotional. I, well, okay. So here's the deal. So this is going is about to shift your season. Oh yeah, entirely and get like a whole new kind of era for you, which we will unpack. My next start. Right. Yeah. But here's I'm feeling like led to encourage myself, <laughs> <laughs> as well as other people that are listening that you don't know, like what you're embarking on or maybe what's happened even recently mm-hmm. that is a total shift in season for you. That is a total shift mm-hmm. in era that you don't know that that's what that is, but just to know that there's a gift maybe that you don't even realize you're walking out or walking in right now. That's about to change things for you. That's true. This next season of my life was one of the best ones of my life, actually. Why are we so emotional? I don't know. <laughs> We're both yeah. starting to cry right now. It's what is our problem? Because you know the story, yeah. and we'll tell the story in the next one. This was a this was a family owned restaurant, and you know, Mr. Folletta and his family became my family. Basically, yeah. I mean, not my family, but like family. And yeah, they took me in. Um, he had a background similar to mine, not not quite, but he had been a a big time attorney in uh, Birmingham. And there had been something happened with a judge where the feds were investigating some kind of fraud or something. And the judge committed suicide because I think there was some shady stuff going on. And somehow Mr. Folletta's name got caught up in all this. And he ended up getting charged with something that he didn't do. And But because he was a lawyer, he knew if he made a deal that it would ruin his life. So he went to trial, but when he went to trial, he lost and he had to go to federal prison for a couple of years. And then when he got out, that's when he started Leonardo's. I actually did not even know that part of the story. Really? Yeah. That was our first thing that really like connected us was I was straight out of prison, but so was he. I did not know that, but we will talk about that more. I know we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but yeah. So, well, we'll just entitle the next episode Leonardo's. That was, that was a, a, Life-changing season for me. And just to know that whatever season you're in, if it's a hard one, things can change suddenly. In an instant. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. And 
Anything else? Thanks, guys. That's it. (laughs) Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. For more exclusive content, head over to our website, teamjones.co slash podcast. Yes, you can subscribe by clicking on the Become a Patron button, and that's going to get you access to our For Real Reel, which is very different than the Highlight Reel. Some very juicy content there. Good stuff. Or you can look us up on Facebook and Instagram, Straight Out of Prison Podcast. Yes, that takes the story to a whole new level where you can see some of the people that James talks about in his story and see some of the places that he's been. I've been loving it, and you will too. Prison recipes. Yeah, all the things. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) We'll see you soon, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.co. It's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at holland.com. 
hcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com. We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to chefjameskjones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. 